finish the book of Jonah. And the next couple of weeks, two, three weeks, just like to do on different passages. And if there's a passage that you'd like me to focus on, we can do that too. Um, but today we're going to do something from Exodus, just a sermon from Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, and then Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Exodus 2. Exodus 1, verse 22, and then 2, 1 through 10. We hear God's word. 1, verse 22. So this is in the context of Israel being in Egypt, right? Uh, there are slaves in Egypt, and at this time, they're getting really big in number, and Pharaoh don't like it. And so you see how Satan is using Pharaoh to, to try to destroy the church. And one way is by destroying all the boys. And if you destroy all the boys, who's left? The girls. And then the girls intermarry with the Egyptians and there's no more church. Satan loves those. He, Satan likes to... Likes to break down the church in one of two ways, either through persecution or seduction. So this is his way. It's both, actually. Persecution, and then we take your daughters. So, and then 122, Pharaoh commanded all his people, so it's all the Egyptians, saying, every son who is born, that's to the people of Israel, to the church, you shall throw into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And then 2, 1 through 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Hebrews is like Jews from Israel. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women? That she may nurse a child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So imagine, became Pharaoh's daughter's son. Moses did. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of water. Out of the water. 
So I think maybe sometimes you would think, well, if it's a time like this where they throw baby boys in the water, I think parents might start thinking, hmm, we better not have another baby, right? Because you get scared. But these are people of faith. Remember the names of Moses' parents? Amram and Jochebed. Normal people, but their names are, suggest- are listed in Exodus 6, verse 3. So anyway, um, I just uh, love this passage because it's so full of, of what God is doing, and it shows that we never need to be afraid, no matter the circumstances and the kind of world in which we live in today. You think about, you think about Egypt. What's it stand for? Right? We always read every Sunday, you know, almost every Sunday. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then it says, out of the house of bondage. Okay, slavery. Egypt, you could say, is a picture of sin and what sin does to us. It, what does sin make us do? It, what, does make, what does sin make us into? Slaves. It keeps us down. It keeps us in slavery. Okay, it leaves us as hopeless and helpless, and it brings death. That's our world, right? It's given into its desires, and it's just one day after another of slavery, slavery, slavery. But we realize we need redemption. We need redemption from slavery and from sin. And who is the redeemer here that God provides? Moses. God provides a redeemer, a savior, a deliverer. A savior is born who will do what? Deliver God's people from Egypt. And he's not the savior, but the reason why he is a savior is because he points to a greater savior, the great savior, Jesus, who is to come, and he will redeem his people from slavery to sin. But you notice here, at Moses' birth, the powers of evil, the powers of evil threatened Moses' life from all sides. Think about Jesus' birth too, how his life was threatened from all sides. Okay, Satan is hard at work to undermine and to, to bring down the church, as you see here. But he threatens Moses' side from all Moses' life from all sides through three things: the Nile River. The Nile River was a god; people would bow to the river because that was a god to the Egyptians. Maybe kind of like the Ganges. Okay, so there's the Nile River; it threatens them. There's the king Pharaoh; that was the name of the king of Egypt, and. Then there were also the people of Egypt. You see those three things mentioned in 1 verse 22. See that? It concludes with these words. So Pharaoh, there's the Pharaoh, the king, commanded all his people, so all the Egyptians, saying, every son who is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw where? Into the river. If you throw him into a deep river, can the baby live? No. And every daughter you shall keep alive. But you know what you see in this passage here? You see God. Watch God turning evil upside down. He turns it on its head. 
And he sovereignly works out his plan of salvation to the very last detail, every detail in the normal lives of Amram and Jacobad, he works out. You see God's love here. You see his greatness. You see the wonder of his works. What you see here is a God who is willing and able to help you. That's first of all. That's why he, you know, it elicits a trust from us in him. But also here is called to you to trust in him in all your circumstances, whatever those circumstances are. So in light of verses 1 through 10, watch the God of your salvation, how he turns evil on its head. He turns the river upside down, Pharaoh upside down, and he turns the Egyptian people upside down. And how does he use? Three women. Okay, really goes to show that God can use anyone. God can use men, God uses women. He uses three women, three, uh, three women here. First of all, a faithful mother. She hides him. And then you see a royal woman who adopts him. So a faithful mother, a royal woman. And then third, we see a wise sister maybe no older than 12 years old at the time, who provides for him. So a mother who hides him, a woman who adopts him, and a sister who provides for him. Look at, first of all, verses 1 through 4. A faithful mother hides him. Moses' father and mother were already married for some years, probably 12 years, right? 12 years married, 12 to 15 years perhaps. And... If you notice from Exodus chapter 6, they both came from the tribe of Levi. Okay, so from the priestly class. And Levi was, as we know, was a son of Jacob, one of the sons of Jacob. Again, we mentioned their names are what? Amram and Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed. Moses wasn't the first child. He had an older sister. Her name was Miriam. The one mentioned in verse 4. That's the one that's mentioned there. And a son. They also had a son, Aaron. And Aaron was only three years old then. So, hey? So, yeah, yeah. Aaron was a, was a brother to, to Moses. So, okay. So, Miriam was about probably eight or nine or ten perhaps. And uh, Aaron was about three years old. And then that was all they had for the time being. But... Another baby's on the way. Oh, aren't they foolish? When, when Pharaoh makes this edict, you know what? It's time for the church to shut down. I mean, you don't have more. Since when do you have more children when, it's, when, the, call, when the times don't call for it, especially times like this? Well, you know, it wasn't really an exciting time to have a baby. But why? Persecution. And maybe they're hoping, well, we hope it's a girl. We hope. You can imagine Amram and Jacob are thinking, we hope it's a girl. But what if the baby is a boy? Oh, that would be endless grief because, you know, the police come to the door, they grab the boy and throw him into the river. Verse 2, she conceived and bore a son, a boy. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, what did she do? Throw him into the river? Oh, no. 
she hid him, hid him so that nobody could find him, maybe behind a wall, we don't know, but she hid the baby boy in a secret place in her house. And you know what? She saw that he was a beautiful baby. Maybe she saw something more than just a beautiful baby. She saw something special about him, perhaps in God's plan. Because if you read Stephen's speech a little bit later in Acts 7, he says, at this time Moses was born and he was well-pleasing to God. You know, Amram and Jacob wouldn't have realized at the time, but still God put that in their heart, something special. It just makes the whole thing unbearable to think about throwing a baby into the Nile River, the Egyptian River God. So what did she do? She hid him in the home for how many months? Three months. Talk about an act of faith, right? She was not being foolish. She's doing the responsible thing. It was an act of faith. Even Hebrews 11, verse 23, it talks about Moses, or their faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Wait a minute. If the king makes a command, shouldn't you obey him? No. In this case, it was a command which was contrary to God's word and to God's ways. Important lesson for us too, isn't it? You know, fear cripples us. What does faith do? Faith walks. Faith obeys. Then she could no longer hide him. Verse 3. What now? Why couldn't she hide him at three months anymore? Because at three months, what do babies do? They get noisier and they start really lots of noises. And how do you protect a child and keep him from other people hearing outside that there's a little baby squawking inside the house? No doubt her faith would be tested. What next? Does she collapse under pressure? Oh no. No, they persevere in the faith. Who do they trust in? God. What does she do? She has a plan using these reeds. She takes these reeds, these long stems by the, the river's edge, and she makes a little basket in the shape of a boat. It says in the text, an ark. And as she's making it, understand that her sighs, her prayers, her tears are being sown right within the basket. Lord, consider my son. Verse 3 uses the word ark here. What does that remind you of? Noah's ark, right? Just that God saved the church through the waters. So God's going to save his people through the waters, but in the, you could say, the person of his deliverer, Moses. Build an ark for her. Waterproof. Uses the same word, pitch. Same thing that Noah built his ark with. When it's ready, she acts upon her plan. You think about it. You take that little basket outside the door of the house and say, okay, Lord, in, he's in your hands. How they must have prayed before they left the house, Amran and Jochebed. By faith, she places that little boat, that little ark in the reeds by the river's bank. Just puts it in there. She places him where? In the hands of God. No better place. The safest place to be 
is in the will of God, in the hands of God. She, he, that baby would no longer be sleeping in the, in, in the arms of mom, but it would be the waves of the water that would make the baby sleep and maybe not be heard too loudly by others. And finally, the sister of Moses, right? Probably not more than 10 years old, 12 years old. She goes there. Mom probably sent her there to keep an eye on what would happen to that little baby. Her mother's acting in faith by sending her there. She really is. I mean, faith also acts responsibly. After all, what would happen if the boat would float away and never see the boat again? What if crocodiles came up and chomped on the baby? What if maybe a soldier would come and maybe drown the baby? You know, the whole future, it seems like it's hanging on a piece of thread, right? The whole future of God's people of Israel and our salvation is all tied up with his little child in a basket. If Moses is not delivered, if, if Moses is not saved, what about his people? What about us? Threatened by death on all sides. But our faithful God uses a mother to hide him. And where? In the very river that was supposed to devour him. That's where she puts him in. She puts him in there. But God turns that river upside down and uses that river for his own purposes. God also uses a, a royal daughter from the house of Pharaoh. You know the Pharaoh who issued that all baby boys be put to death? Baby Hebrew boys? Look at verse 5. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her young women walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. Now, it's probably the case that Jochebed and Amran lived nearby one of the royal palaces of Pharaoh at that time. And who comes to bathe in the river, just in the area where Moses is? Pharaoh's daughter, along with her other maids there with her as well. Seen as a holy river, this river is considered as a god, so they would respect it, maybe bow down to it before they go into the river. You know, this lady comes from that same evil royal family that commanded the Hebrew sons to be thrown in the river. But the maidens, think about why might they be with her? Those maidens that were with Pharaoh's daughter. Probably to guard her privacy while she's taking a bath. And while she's taking the bath, what does she see? This little basket floating. She sends the slave girl, one of her maids, in the water to get it. Verse 6, Pharaoh's daughter opened it, and who does she see? The child. And behold, the baby wept. Bear in mind, God is active in every detail here. Bear in mind here, too, it was not by accident that a child was weeping just at this moment. Why? God is working. By that weeping of the child, what does God do? He arouses some sort of a sympathy, a pity in the, in the daughter of Pharaoh for this little baby boy. That whimpering sound of baby Moses just touches her heart, and she just falls in love with this little baby boy right away. 
Verse 6 says, so she had compassion on him. See that? This is one of the Hebrews' children, she said. She does not react as her father would have done. Throw him into the river. No, she does the very exact opposite. You see how God turns Pharaoh's edict upside down? Using the daughter as a channel to save their lives. She had more than a feeling of sympathy. She had compassion. A kind of compassion that was determined to save his life. He would be her son. Yeah, Moses would be her son. So, yeah, the grandson of Pharaoh himself. You see how our God mocks the plans of the king of Egypt? The plans of wicked king Pharaoh is already falling to doom, right? It's all in the hands of God. You know, people try to do their evil tricks, but it's, it goes upside down. It gets turned on its head, as you see happening here. God directs her footsteps, this daughter of Pharaoh, to the very right place. He uses a woman's putty to adopt him, a Hebrew boy. My son, my son. But who would take care of him and feed him? It's only like three months old. It's still being nursed and so on. Well, yeah, God uses a loving woman, a faithful woman, to hide him in a river, a river that was to devour him, right? He uses a loving woman to adopt him, a daughter of Pharaoh who had commanded to drown him. And who else does God use? You know, you think about it when your children, this is a child. This is a, a sister of Moses, 12 years old. She's a very wise sister. She belongs to the covenant family of God here. It's amazing. She's not on her cell phone all the time. She's there actively serving God. This little sister, or it's actually big sister. What was her name again? Miriam. Such a beautiful name. Miriam. And God uses her to protect, protect him from the Egyptian people. We're actually on our third point, Sashi, number three. It's a wise sister. A wise sister God uses to provide for him, to protect him. So the older sister of Moses, Miriam, watches closely all that happens. Seeing her pity, she approaches the princess, and she makes wise use of her pity. The Lord knows what he's doing. What a wise sister Moses has. Helpful sister. Actually, acting as naturally she, as, as he could, she asks her, she asks her in verse 7, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? I mean, the baby was crying, the baby is hungry, uh, three months old, still being nursed. Offering a woman to nurse a baby was just the right thing to do. And Pharaoh's daughter, of course, is not married, so who should nurse the baby? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go, find somebody. Hmm, who should Miriam choose? Oh, you know who Miriam chooses? Her mother. Her mother. But you see that, you just see the hand of God in all this. He chooses her mother, the baby's mother. Mom, come. Pharaoh's daughter needs a baby, needs, needs a mother, needs a nursing mom. Pharaoh's daughter maybe knew, maybe didn't know, I don't know. She returns with baby's mom. Just amazing and miraculous guidance. Think about what God can do through your children. 
You know, uh, covenant children. You see that here. What's more, verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, said to the mother, that is, you take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. Can you imagine being paid by Pharaoh to raise up your own ch child? Well, it was really Pharaoh's daughter's child. But real mom gets paid by the government who hates them to look after the child that now belongs to Pharaoh's daughter. There's a little bit of humor here, isn't there? Right? You see the bless you see how God blesses the household. <laughs> the household at this time. He even pays mom for nursing the child, which was hers anyway. The mother is paid to look after the child in her own home. She could do so without being afraid of the Egyptians. You can well imagine Moses' mother carrying the baby outside, just meeting people in the street. And people, the Egyptians saying, wow, what a lovely daughter you have there. Because after all, she's Jewish and you only have daughters, right? Oh, no, 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 she said. That's not my daughter. That's my son. Shouldn't you keep him hidden then? Certainly not, she said. He's the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. You can't touch him because he belongs to Pharaoh's house. So you see, you just see God, I mean, this should be a real encouragement to us to, to step out in faith, to walk in faith, because the Lord will look after his people. His parents, you know, even though that baby belonged to Pharaoh's daughter, his parents had the benefit of training him, bringing Moses up in the word of God and the ways of the Lord. Moses' earliest years were, were with whom? With his own family. He could be raised in the faith. He could learn to trust in the promises of God. After all, the child was on loan, right? The child was on loan to her. But then again, think of your children too. Your children are on loan from God. You have them for a little while and they're released into the kingdom to serve him in his kingdom. Wow, what a responsibility few years you have your children and then like birds you let them out of the cage and they're yeah those for those few years what we, what do we do with our children well moses parents knew exactly what they had to do with moses imagine knowing that it's not really your own son it belongs to pharaoh's daughter and now you have the task in the few years that you have to train him with all that you have with the word of god because He's going to go to Pharaoh's court. Verse 10, the child grew, brought up, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Okay, three things here, quickly. God saved Moses. In saving Moses, he was saving, as he promised in Genesis 3, 15, the seed of the woman, right? Uh, that promise that Christ would come and crush the head of Satan. You see that already happening here. In the same way that he saved Noah by the ark, the seed of the woman, the church, both passed through deadly waters by riding in the ark, and the ark is the vessel of salvation. Today, that's the church. If you're not in the church, it's not safe. It's just not safe. Look at Egypt, <laughs> ends up being drowned in the waters. But in the church, that's a vessel of salvation. Second, 
God uses whom to mold the Savior of Israel? He uses Egypt. Egypt will train the man who's going to deliver God's people from them. His education at the palace of Pharaoh, God is going to use to equip his people, or equip him to lead his people out of bondage. And third, notice who, who named the son Moses? Was it his mom? It was the daughter of Pharaoh who called him Moses. Very prophetic. Drew him out of water. That's what it means, drawn out of water. Little did the daughter of Pharaoh know that Moses will cause Pharaoh and his army to be drowned in the water. Drawn out of water because they will be drowned in the water. Prophetic. Pharaoh's daughter didn't know that. What God did that day is more amazing than just rescuing one little baby. He saved the child Moses so that he could save his children, the seed of the woman, the Israelites. Just as Moses was drawn out of water, so he would draw Israel out of Egypt through what? Through the Red Sea. All his people, parents and children, baptized through the Red Sea. Moses was a savior. Not the savior. He points to the savior who was at birth also threatened with death on all sides. Remember that, King Herod? Same story all over again. He came to draw his people out. How? Or out of what? Out of sin. How? Through his sacrifice. Moses didn't die. But Christ died through his sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And yet, it looked like defeat for the people of God. At the cross, what happened though? God turned evil on its own head, crushing Satan. Oh, Satan tried to use the cross to destroy the sun and to get rid of the church. But God used the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection to life, to bring life to his people, right? That was the ark. The ark today is Christ who brings us into the church. Repentance and forgiveness of sin is for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in his name. Three quick applications that follow from this. You know, we need a God who can actually do something. All those gods out there in the temples, they're dead, they can do nothing, they can do nothing for you, but this God can do something. Here he is. You know, the river was foiled of its prey, and in the process, the river God was defeated. The Nile God was defeated. The same royal house that had de decreed death is made the channel of life through Pharaoh's daughter. And finally, the Egyptians could not touch the people. That's the third thing. God turns evil on its own head using three simple women. Three women. Well, one woman, I mean, from all different classes even. Even a little girl. Three women. God tells us, he reminds us in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things 
including evil, whatever evil we may experience in our lives, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the first thing. Never doubt that. Never doubt that. The second thing here is, is this. Today, in a risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is bound. And the gospel is going out to all the nations, turning evil on its head. It looks like the persecutors are gaining ground like they did in Jacobus' day. But in actuality, the gospel is turning evil on its head. I like what C.S. Lewis says. Again and again, the world has thought Christianity was dying. Thank you, Fred. Thought that Christianity was dying. But every time the world has been disappointed, his first disappointment was over the crucifixion. The man came to life again. And in some sense, and I quite realize how frightfully unfair it must seem to them, he says, that has been happening ever since. They keep on killing the thing that God started. And each time, just as they are patting down the earth on its grave, they suddenly hear that it's still alive and has even broken out in some new place. No one can defeat God. Don't even try. Evil has been defeated by him. And finally, you know, pray. Pray for the church. Pray for your children. We need, we need to pray for more Amrams and Jacobets. We really don't know who they are. But they're mentioned in scripture for their faith for their faith. You know, we need leaders who have the courage to stand in the face of evil, in the face of Pharaoh's edicts of today. You pray for that, for your children? Well, you can, you know, a lot of people, just recently at their home, you know, one lady says, pray for us that I may get rich with money. Really? Is that what prayers are for? Just to have some temporal goodies that get burned up by fire anyway? No. Do we pray that our children may have that kind of leadership that was shown by Jacobin and Amran? That's the most important prayer we could ever say for our children. Not that they become rich and healthy and that all, that all goes away anyway. But the faith, right? The faith continues. Do you pray for your children that God has given you on loan? You're only going to have them for a little while and they're gone. A little while to raise them. How Amram and Jacob must have prayed. And look how God blessed them. See that? Look how God blessed them for their stand in the faith. Look at their obedience. They believed God was sovereign and that he was going to work out all things for good. Never mind the pharaohs of the day. Just a little fly on God's shoulder, and he goes, bing, that's it. Pharaoh was dead. He was drowned anyway. May we go forward in faith, believing and obeying the Lord. 1 John 5, verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. That's God's promise to us. Thank you. Amen.